Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at ADCES24.org. Hello and welcome to ADCES's podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. Welcome to explaining glucose monitoring accuracy to your clients in two minutes or less. My name is Jody Lavin Tompkins. I'm an advanced practice nurse and certified diabetes care and education specialist and director of accreditation and content development at ADCES. Today, I'll be speaking with our expert, Gary Shiner, to ask him to explain about how accuracy is measured for glucose monitoring devices. Gary is also a certified diabetes care and education specialist and has written multiple books on diabetes management. He presents to audiences worldwide and has been an ADCES Diabetes Educator of the Year. This podcast episode and the participation of Gary Shiner is sponsored by Essentia Diabetes Care, makers of the Contour Next brand of blood glucose monitors. Welcome, Gary. Thanks, Jody. Gary, one of the things you're best known for is taking complex concepts and explaining them in terms that just about anyone can understand. So can you explain how we should be looking at blood glucose monitors and continuous glucose monitors with regard to accuracy? Well, I'll do my best. And that is a question that comes up quite a bit. Obviously, not all devices perform the same in terms of accuracy. And even the way we define accuracy varies. So what I'd like to do is summarize the different ways accuracy is being measured and then offer a concise way to explain it to others. We'll also take a look at an independent study that discusses the accuracy of blood glucose meters that are currently on the market. Okay, that sounds like a great plan. And I'll remind you uh, when it's time to bring up more information about that study. So can you lead us through the criteria that must be met for FDA clearance of glucose monitoring devices first? Yeah, I'll get to that in just a second. But before we dig in, I I want to explain how accuracy is, is actually being measured. For all of the monitoring devices, including blood glucose meters, continuous glucose monitors, and and the scan or flash devices, the readings that are generated are being compared to uh, blood glucose laboratory values. Sometimes this is called YSI. These are values that are taken at the same time. So the difference between the device value and the lab value is expressed as a percentage. So for example, if you have a lab value of 200 and a meter or a CGM value of 160, there's a 40-point difference, which is a 20% error. Okay, well, so that's good to know that devices are compared with the lab. So what are the current FDA requirements? The current FDA guidance for blood glucose meters requires that 95% of the values generated by meters are within 15% 
of the lab value, and 99% have to be within 20% of that lab value. So this really minimizes the risk of having an extremely inaccurate value. So to simplify the concept, I want you to imagine a train that arrives at the station every time at the exact moment that it's, it's scheduled for. That, that would basically be a 100% accuracy, but it's probably not realistic. There are all kinds of things that can delay or, or expedite a train. So I want you to imagine an allowance that says the train has to arrive within 15 minutes of the scheduled time and it has to do that at least 95% of the time. And it has to be within 20 minutes of the scheduled time, at least 99% of the time. So if you're a commuter on that train and, and you're not happy, obviously, when the train arrives too late or too early, but if it comes within 15 minutes of the scheduled time, almost all the time, it's not going to hurt your commute that much. But when it's much earlier or much later than that, it, it can obviously have an impact on your commute. You, you might miss the train or you might be late for an important meeting. So now think of it in terms of someone who is ca calculating an insulin dose based on their glucose value. If the reading is within 15% of the true actual value, it's not going to have that great an impact on your dosing decision. But when it's off by more than that, it has the potential to lead to either over or under dosing. Wow, Gary, I really like your train analogy. That was really helpful for understanding this information a, a bit better. So with these recommendations in mind, could a meter result still be inaccurate? Oh, absolutely, it can. Remember, the FDA doesn't require that 100% of readings be within 15% of the lab value. And even though the accuracy of the meters has really improved quite a bit over time, some of the meters that are still on the market in the U.S. were cleared under older, less stringent guidelines. And that's why it's important to understand the accuracy of the meter before recommending it. Okay, so meter accuracy standards have changed over time. And I've actually seen people check twice in a row on their meter and get different results. So why is that? You know, even when a meter meets the accuracy standard, there's likely to, to be some difference when you check back to back. Remember, the FDA guidance says that a meter can be as much as 15% off from the lab value. So a blood sugar value of 150 can actually show up anywhere from 128 to 173 on a meter and still be considered accurate enough for FDA approval. Obviously, the more accurate the meter is, the less variance there's going to be when checking readings back to back. Okay, thanks for that explanation. I think it does help explain that difference and helps us explain it to our patients. So let's move on to talk a little bit about CGM and intermittent scan flash glucose monitors now. And Gary, do they have to meet the same accuracy criteria as the blood glucose meters? That's a great question, and the fact is they don't. Uh, for CGM and flash systems, the accuracy measure that's typically used is called MARD, M-A-R-D. And this is very different from the FDA blood glucose meter guidelines. MARD stands for Mean Absolute Relative Difference. 
it represents the average discrepancy between the CGM value and the lab value, and it's reported as a percentage. So in other words, a, a MARD of 10 means that the CGM on average is 10% higher or lower than the lab value taken at the same time. A MARD of 15 means that on average, it's off by 15% compared to the lab value. Oh, that, that's really interesting. I've heard of MARD uh, when referring to the accuracy of CGM, but I didn't understand how it related to the lab reference value. So that, that's helpful. Um, now, so is MARD of 15 the same as an FDA guidance for blood glucose meters of plus or minus 15%? Yeah, that, that's a really great question, and, and it really gets to the point of our discussion. MARD and the FDA accuracy guidelines are very different, so you have to be careful and pay attention to which one is being used. Patients and healthcare providers both can get very confused here. So, for example, if a patient says, well, my meter has a 15% accuracy and so does my CGM, uh, does that mean they both have the same level of accuracy? And it's easy to say yes, because they're both using a percent in some form, uh, but they're really not. Uh, MARD and the FDA accuracy requirements use different types of statistics. If a CGM has a MARD of 15, it means that on average, it's 15% higher or lower than the corresponding lab value. But if a meter meets the FDA's 15% guidance, it means that no more than 5% of those readings uh, can be off by more than 15%. So there's a lot less tolerance for error with the FDA guidance for meters than there is with MARD. And so the two measures are very different. So the FDA guidance is actually much more stringent than MARD? Absolutely. And to clarify, MARD is a statistic. It's not really a guideline. In order to meet the FDA accuracy guidance that we talked about, a device would have to have a MARD of about 6% or less. And, and most CGM systems now have MARDs of around 9 to 10%. So even though CGM accuracy has improved quite a bit in recent years, meters generally still provide more accurate results. Okay, so that must be why CGM and BGM values don't always match up then. You've got it, Jody. It's also related to the lag time that exists with CGM devices. There's approximately a five to 10 minute lag time where it takes some time for the, the CGM to catch up with changes in the actual blood glucose. So when blood glucose levels are rising, CGMs tend to underestimate the actual glucose value. And when the blood sugar is falling, the CGM tends to overestimate there's no lag time with blood glucose meters since those are getting blood measurements directly. Uh, but don't forget, CGMs still offer some added benefits that we don't get from meters, such as trends and alerts of pending highs and lows. Yes, I know many people do find that trend information to be helpful. So does it really make a difference if one device is more accurate than the other as long as they all meet regulatory requirements? You know, I think it does. And it, for different populations, it has different meaning. 
for everybody with diabetes, a more accurate meter is going to improve the user's confidence in the system. You mentioned earlier about patients who might check back to back and see radically different numbers, and, and that just kills their confidence in the system. You know, they, they tend not to trust it, and they may not check their glucose as often as is prescribed. An accurate meter, or at least a more accurate meter, can also show subtle changes in blood sugar that may not show up in a less accurate meter. And that's really helpful. For example, if we're encouraging a patient to get some exercise and maybe walk after a meal, they may see a slight drop in their blood sugar on an accurate meter. A less accurate meter may not show that slight decline. We also try to get patients to make healthy food choices. And showing subtle differences from pre to post meal uh, is going to show up on a more accurate meter, less likely than it's going to show up on an inaccurate meter. And for everyone who is working with patients with diabetes, having accurate data lets us make better recommendations and adjust medication more accurately and more effectively. For people that use continuous glucose monitors, accuracy of the meter takes on a whole new meaning. Uh, the performance of any CGM system can be optimized with the use of a highly accurate glucose meter. It'll provide verification of CGM results. So a patient who checks and wants to make sure their CGM is operating properly will be able to see that clearly. Uh, finger sticks are still needed whenever glucose is rising and falling quickly because of lag time and having an accurate reading when the finger stick is performed will allow patients to dose properly. And for any CGM that requires calibration, clearly we want to calibrate with the most accurate reading possible and an accurate meter will help them to do that. And I think for insulin users, it's, it's clear that accuracy is particularly important. Uh, especially for early detection of hypoglycemia. Meters that are less accurate can miss lows. You know, somebody may have a glucose that's well below 70, but an inaccurate reading gives them a reading of 75 or 80, and they may miss a low and not treat it, which can lead to serious problems. They might miss the treatment and experience a severe low. An accurate meter is also necessary for proper dosage calculations, especially when you're correcting high glucose values. Uh, an inaccurate meter reading can lead to under or overdosing uh, when somebody is correcting their insulin based on their blood sugar value. Okay, so it does sound like accuracy is really something that we should be paying attention to and keeping up to date on. So what can our listeners do to make sure the people we are seeing are getting accurate readings when they check? Well, the way we instruct our patients makes an enormous difference. Uh, we need to instruct them on proper storage of their meter and their strips. We have to let them know to check the expiration data on their strips, even if the vial or the box has, has not even been opened. Expired strips may not perform properly. Skin cleanliness is a, a huge issue. Uh, even having a little bit of dirt, residue, food substance on the fingers can greatly affect the accuracy of a reading. A couple of years ago, I was in Kansas City uh, doing a lecture, and I, I went out to this barbecue place and checked my blood sugar with my meter, 
while I still had some sauce on my finger and, you know, the reading was over 400 after I cleaned my finger, it was in the 100. So you can see the magnitude of difference there can be just from having uh, dirt on your finger. We also have to instruct patients on, on proper dosing, uh, applying the, the right amount of, of blood to the strip. We have to advise them about concerns surrounding alternate site testing where patients check uh, a site on, on their arm, their leg, a place other than on their fingertip, they may get a mixture of interstitial fluid and blood, which has some lag time built in. And then for patients who have an abnormal hematocrit, we have to make sure that they're using a meter and strips that work for that hematocrit range. And I think we also uh, need to guide patients in selection of the right kind of meter, a meter that has not only the best accuracy, but the kind of features that are, are usable for that patient. And remember, every meter manufacturer provides the results of their own accuracy studies in their user guide or in the test strip package insert. So we as, as clinicians, we can look at that to see how often that meter's readings actually come within 15% or, or better yet, look at the 10% value, uh, how often it's within 10% of the lab values. I, I feel that that 10% accuracy standard uh, definitely applies more so now that we have more patients using insulin and who are at risk of hypoglycemia. Gary, I loved your example of the barbecue. I've actually seen some of this example with my own father uh, making sure that his technique is correct. I know it's really important, but he was squeezing and squeezing and squeezing his finger. He's actually a clarinet player and he has calluses all over the tips of his fingers, all over his hands. And he was squeezing the, you know, so hard that I'm sure that he was getting dilution of, of his um, result. And so I, of course, had to, you know, work with him uh, to get the right technique. Yeah, I've seen guitarists with similar problems like that. So with my dad, what I ended up doing was having him set his lancing device for a deeper stick, and I showed him other locations where he could probably get more blood. Well, you know, earlier you mentioned that you, you were going to talk about a study that was done, so I'm thinking maybe now would be a good time to say more about that reference. Yeah, just a couple of years ago, uh, an organization called the Diabetes Technology Society conducted its own independent study of meter accuracies. And this is for meters that were in the mar on the market between uh, roughly 2013 and 2015. And then they published this a couple of years later. Uh, it was in Diabetes Care in August of 2018. And they compared 18 FDA cleared meters in a clinical setting, and they found wide differences in the performance of these meters. Out of the 18, can you guess how many actually met the requirements that had been set forth? It was only six. So there are details about that you can look up on Google. Uh, just look up blood glucose monitoring surveillance program, and you'll find uh, a link to that study and, and some more information about it. Yeah, and for our listeners, we will also provide a link to the article in our show notes. So Gary, we've talked about a lot of different things around accuracy. It's a, some great information here. Could you highlight the key points for our listeners so that we can achieve our title 
which was to explain all this in two minutes or less? I'll do my best. Now, suffice to say that accurate glucose monitoring is important for both user safety and well-being. And there are some major differences in accuracy within and between device categories. Remember, a MARD value, and we're talking about CGM and flash monitors, a MARD value of 15 means that on average, that device is going to be 15% higher or lower than a lab value. Whereas an FDA meter guidance means that at least 95% of the readings are within 15% of a lab value. So again, think about a train that's way off schedule on average versus a train that might be off just once or twice a month. And that's the difference between MARD and the FDA guidance. Now, there may be other reasons why people choose to use a meter or a CGM, but in terms of overall point-in-time accuracy, meters remain superior to CGM. But you have to keep in mind that recent study, it highlights that there is quite a bit of difference between meters. So it's important to choose one that produces the best overall accuracy and precision. And in addition to recommending the best devices, there's plenty we can do as diabetes care and education specialists to coach and teach our patients on proper use and procedures. When you combine the right equipment with the right skills, the best results are achievable. That makes a lot of sense, Gary. And thanks so much for the great discussion. I think our listeners can take away some practical tips for helping their clients with their day-to-day glucose monitoring. And as mentioned, if you would like the reference for the study or the FDA guidance document, you can find them in the link in our show notes. It's my pleasure, Jody. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. With that thorough explanation from Gary, it's easy to see that understanding the accuracy of a meter is a crucial step to take before recommending it to any client. By recommending highly accurate meters, you improve user confidence, reduce the risk of over or underdosing insulin, and support better medication management. By coaching people with diabetes on proper meter use and procedures, you can also ensure that your clients are getting the best results and are empowered to make good decisions in their day-to-day glucose monitoring. To access notes and resources from today's discussion, please visit diabeteseducator.org forward slash podcast. If you have any questions about the episode, send them to communications at adcps.org. Today's episode was provided by Essentia Diabetes Care, makers of the Contour Next brand of blood glucose meters and test strips. To learn more about the accuracy of Contour Next brand meters and receive samples for your clients, visit contournextpro.com. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.